Hello, I'm Anthony Sana. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast. Today's episode, a holistic approach to addiction and sobriety. Welcome to Fusion Health Radio. You know, in, in terms of language that um, a non-Chinese medicine person might use to look at parts of that, not it won't encompass the whole thing, is thinking about surrender and sovereignty. So we have surrender, which is the more yin aspect, and sovereignty or agency, which is the more yang aspect. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Health Radio. Um, once again, I'm in studio with Dr. Michael Smith. Michael, how are you today? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm well. Um, how's the uh, pandemic treating you these days? Uh, I believe we have one more month, so I'm getting ready to do May, as much time out in my yard in the sun as I can. And I have my list of projects to do, and I'm hoping to uh, I don't know, rearrange my clinic a little bit so that it's all spruced up and ready and brand new for when people hopefully start coming back in to uh, get treatment. So. Awesome. Patients and uh, also keep them busy enough that you don't get squirrely. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm excited to say that uh, today's episode is uh, something that um, is, if you can believe it, a bit of a stretch uh, for, uh, for both of us, uh, dear listener and dear viewer. Uh, we were actually interviewing somebody on the show today. Uh, Dr. Dana Lyons is the owner of Alchemist Sobriety. Um, she offers personalized coaching to help women who are newly sober to craft the lives they love. And uh, her work is an alchemy of Chinese medicine, mindful eating, and minimalism. Uh, all that to say, um, the conversation we're about to have with Dana uh, is one where we're going to learn more about the work that she does. Hopefully it's going to be something that um, helps you uh, in a particular way that um, Michael and I haven't been able to so far. <laughs> because we're not that good. Can we say that? <laughs> I'm just excited that we're going to have another mind with so much uh, experience and wisdom to share. It's fun for you and I to do what we do, and uh, I, I'm always comfortable, you know, lathering on about anything that I might know something about. But I'm really, really excited about the idea of uh, coming up with our style of interviewing experts and. Uh, I really think Dana was a really is a really good choice for our first person. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, just reading what uh, what I got from her website here. Dr. Dana has treated and coached hundreds of patients and clients. Uh, she has also led more than a hundred group sessions at addiction treatment centers and taught addiction treatment training for healthcare students and professionals. So she knows her stuff. Um, and certainly, this is um, something that um, I think has reach for all of our. Uh, listeners and all of our all of our viewers, um, we're not just talking about alcohol addiction. We're talking about food addiction, and um, you know I'm raising my hand here in terms of me and Mr. Sugar. We've had a long-standing uh, relationship, Mr. Bread, <laughs> and Mr. Uh, I don't want to get into it, <laughs> but you know what I mean. There's a, there, there's a lot there. The word addiction it, it covers a lot of territory, and uh, I'm I'm really excited to. To hear where Dana's going to come from with respect to you know her very vast experience across um, behavioral disorders to heart addiction to um, I think honestly just the how how practical and pragmatic she is about um, owning your own uh, 
power with within you know that, that kind of a process and uh yeah I, I expect nothing else than just a lot of nodding as you guys talk to each other because i'm going to sit here and just go wow well i'll tell you part of the nervousness for me in talking to her is is that um uh, she's a little bit smarter than I am. <laughs> Actually, I should be nervous when I talk to everybody, if that's the case. Uh, Dana, Dana holds a master's degree, sorry, a master's degree uh, from Georgetown University, uh, completed five-year Doctor of Chinese Medicine training at the Academy of Classical Oriental Sciences in Nelson, British Columbia, of all places. Uh, Michael is nodding his head. He knows that place very well. Uh, she's currently based in Victoria, BC, and works remotely with women and men, I'll say that as well, all over the world. Um, yeah, why don't we uh, just get right into the, the interview from here. Introducing us talking to Dr. Dana Lee Lyons, owner of the um, website, the business, uh, Alchemist Sobriety. I read a uh, quote on the internet when I was doing a little bit of homework about you. Um, and do I say Dr. Dana or Dana? How do you want to be addressed? Dana is fine, yeah. Okay. Um, I read a quote when I was doing a bit of work uh, homework on you, Dana, to sort of find some sort of appropriate thing to say to introduce the whole concept here. And one thing that sort of struck me uh, was this quote. Um, People don't change because they're undertreated. They change because they see something valuable enough to start moving toward a life worth living. Uh, and that was a quote by, of all people, Robert Downey Jr., mm -hmm. uh, perhaps a very uh, famous individual who's uh, dealt with addiction and recovery. Um, in his life, um, gone on to fame and fortune because of it, I think. Um, but when I read that, uh, it made me curious to know, um, uh, like your story, um, I read on your website that you've had uh, eating disorders, um, anorexia, uh, sugar. Um, I think I can raise my hand to the whole uh, sugar uh, addiction thing. I think we all can. Um, and even alcohol in, in, in your situation. Um, and I'm curious to talk more about what it is you do with that experience as your work. Um, but I was hoping that you would actually tell us a bit of your story as to how, how your life looked um, before you're the version you are that sits in front of me today. Yeah. Um, so yeah, jumping right in with the, uh, the big question. Um, and it's still unfolding, you know, um, we're all humans and we all have human stuff and uh, there's always another layer. For me, my drugs of choice have always had to do with um, finding places of imagined control and finding ways to attempt to quiet anxiety. So that has been through restriction and elimination for the most part, whether food or experience, cutting things out in an attempt to quiet anxiety and feel safer on the inside. And so anorexia is a big one for me, obsessive compulsive disorder, that sort of thing. Um, I am sober. I don't drink alcohol. I kind of got a free pass in a sort of sense with that. It wasn't a hard thing for me to give up alcohol because that's not my real drug of choice. I'm more on, oh, let's just cut things out and let's, um, let's cut out all the foods that are bad, so-called bad, you know, so there's orthorexia in there as well. So for me, my addictions, my places of working, healing look quite different than maybe the next person's. In, in that sense. 
and and so um, when you talk about your relationship with food um, and how that was um, how, how that was sort of shaped for you um, is that something you grew up with I mean this, this whole idea of uh, anorexia and uh, orthorexia as you as you describe it is that something that you um, you picked up along the way or were, like I'm trying to find like where the, where the starting point for, for these sort of things for you were. Yeah, I'd say, um, you know, like all of us as a little person, things come in. It's trauma, abuse, heartbreak, loss. It doesn't have to be a big trauma, but even micro traumas and things come in and beliefs develop. So for me, the things that came in and the lack of control as a, as a little person, um, one of the big beliefs that that sprouted up from my very beginnings was I am not enough and I'm not good enough. And so that led to the number one underlying addiction of mine, which is addiction to perfectionism and trying to be good enough, trying to make it perfect, which is of course a lost cause. You can't be perfect, at least not in all ways to everyone. But that has been the, the driving thing, the driving force in my life that's led to things like limiting food or restricting food, um, trying to get, when I was a child, lining up all my toys in a perfect line. And if one piece fell out of place, it was a disaster, right? So this, this pattern started very early on for me. And it just has played out in different ways. And it took me until my 20s that where I was like, oh, this really isn't working any longer. Um, that's when, you know, things caught up with me. Because for um, in many areas of my life, as is the case with many people who work with addictions or patterns that aren't serving them, it works really well in certain areas. So it's also this addiction to perfectionism and limiting things and restricting and being good at saying no in certain areas also allowed me to be a straight A student, allowed me to excel in my work and um, in certain ways. So it's like I got to be the good student, but underneath it was this issue. So perhaps, perhaps being a perfectionist and, and recognizing the, the positive aspects of that have given you the, um, the capacity to really see how the negative aspects are just the other side of the positive aspects, <laughs> not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it really is true that our wounds and our gifts, they, they share the same source. And our addictions and our gifts, they share the same source. So I wouldn't want to get rid of it because it's, it's very much part of me. I would, I would want to change and I have been changing my relationship to patterns that aren't helpful, but I wouldn't want to just erase that whole part of my past. And that's something that I bring up when I work with people too. And their patterns, their addictions are often quite different than my own, but there's this similar thread of, okay, that's just part of you. You're a whole person. We all have these things. I really do believe we all have these coping mechanisms, addictions, patterns, habits, and okay, that, that doesn't make us bad. We don't need to get rid of it, but how do we hold it in a, in a safe container? And where can we make helpful shifts? And um, no matter what the person's drug of choice is, and by drug of choice, I just mean your thing, and it might be a substance or it might be a behavior, but um, 
whatever it is, it's disconnecting from true self and from others. So where can we get more connected to our true self and be able to exist in connection with others? So it, it sounds like you've sort of um, landed on your feet solidly. You're coming from a place of uh, a powerful place of um, compassion uh, and understanding about uh, who you are and what makes you um, quote unquote successful uh, in your everyday life. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see how, um, I heard this term the other day, um, that this whole COVID pandemic is a, um, is a is an alcohol holiday for a lot of people. Um, they're really going off the deep end and overindulging um, and um, kind of like, well, you know, I need to work Monday to Friday, nine to five normally, and I party hard on, the, on Friday and Saturday and dry out on Sunday and then go be responsible during the week. Now I don't have those restrictions. I'm just going to binge on everything. Um, I've, I've seen that come up on social media time and again, people making joke of it, uh, making light of it. Um, but I'm curious, you're part of this pandemic too, coming from a background where you were, you know, more of this um, uh, restricted type person um, with your perfectionism and your eating disorders and that sort of stuff. Um, how are things washing up for you now that you have all this sort of um, uh, loose, loose edges? You don't have the same sort of boundaries as you did yeah. before. Uh, yeah, it's um, whether someone's drinking a lot or eating a lot or doing what I do a lot, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, I really find this pandemic is a magnifier for many people for patterns that are not so helpful. And it's uh, really something to hold with a lot of tenderness and care and, and watch it. Um, you know, with the alcohol, that just breaks my heart because I see people drinking who were sober. I see people drinking way more than, they've, than they used to drink. Um, and that's not something that they're going to go back to their relationship with alcohol the way it was before. Um, just the way the brain works and the way alcohol works and um, finding that secret of how al alcohol works in a time of um, deep worry, anxiety, loss. Um, it's, it's really unfortunate. And I think a lot of people are going to come out of this pandemic and um, discover that, oh my gosh, what has happened? How am I in this place? Now, my own story is playing out differently, but it unfortunately is still, I'm having to watch myself with this magnifier effect. I am super productive right now. I'm creating online courses left and right, and I'm working all the time, and um, I get to keep my house extra tidy, and, and all of these things, which are not bad in and of themselves, but I'm cautious around it, and I'm like, oh, I'm seeing this... Um, this uh, anxiety play out in ways that it hasn't for a while. So how can I bring this back into balance? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, just a quick note there. You can add uh, being interviewed on podcasts to your list of things that you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Actually being interviewed in, on a podcast is one of the things that is stretching outside of my realm of like needing to have everything um, controlled and um, just feeling perfect because I'm, the most imperfect version of myself I feel on video, on talk, on podcasts, on talking. So it's like, okay, I'm doing this regardless. So uh, here's another hard hitting question. How are you doing so far with all this then? 
Um, I'm doing okay. You know, I do notice this kind of like tunnel vision come in where I'm sort of like, okay, I need to just stay connected and present and focused, which is much easier for me if I'm teaching my students because I'm teaching students by Zoom these days, but it's not, it feels very like, oh, we're just casual and hanging out and I don't, yeah, no one's recording it. And, you know, so, um, but it, it feels okay. <laughs> um, you're a Chinese medicine doctor. Michael, you are as well. Um, mm -hmm. Michael and I have talked about um, uh, all kinds of ways that uh, TCM relates to health and well-being. Um, I'm curious to know, what's the connection between um, Chinese medicine and sobriety? Yeah, um, I love that question because Chinese medicine, holistic medicine, other modalities within holistic medicine as well, have so much to offer. Uh, the recovery field, sobriety, um, because we really do treat the whole body, mind, spirit, and we see the person as a whole. And in my experience with my own recovery and working with other people, that's essential. Otherwise, someone can get clean, get dry off of drugs, alcohol, or whatever it is, sugar, eating addictions, eating patterns, but they are just white knuckling it. And they're living either a flat life or an angry life, or you know, they're not living a full life. They're not finding joy in sobriety. And Chinese medicine, holistic medicine, the way I practiced it, any I practice it anyway, is we really get to say, okay, let's look at all of you. Let's bring all of you into recovery and sobriety and crafting a life that you don't want to escape from and you don't want to numb out. And for me, that means addressing body, mind, spirit. Hmm. Uh, Michael, I'm going to ask you the same question, but maybe just uh, slightly different because I'm curious to hear um, your perspectives in the container of this conversation around Chinese medicine and say addictions. Is there something you can say that would um, uh, give people some uh, understanding of how both of those are um, uh, working together? Um, and this is just coming through in the moment because uh, it'd be easy I think to step back and say something very similar to what Dana was expressing about the importance of seeing ourselves objectively and holistically because unless we can be inclusive again like she Dana was saying we're going to get myopic or we're going to get very white knuckled um, my relationship with addiction in my own life and as a clinician helping other people has mostly to do with the qualities of pain we feel uh, I tend to focus on qualities like instinctual pain, visceral social pain, existential spiritual pain, not in the sense of just focusing on pain for the sake of that, but for the sake of the humility, the honesty, and the patience of going, okay, uh, I'm trying to control something, and it's perhaps subconscious. So if, if I can be aware of that, um, the qualities that come to mind for me when I really want to help someone in the moment come into the moment uh, is what we call in Chinese medicine Jing Shen, which is kind of an a, a way of assessing or uh, embracing your own experience. So if I was to check in with my own Jing Shen, it's kind of like feeling my mojo and my mindset. You know, what's, where's my body state at and where's my mindset at? 
in, 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 a, in a sense. If I'm sitting with a patient or a group of people, that's the question is, where's your embodied feeling of beingness, you know, your animal kind of beingness, and then where's the narrative at? <clears throat> and depending on how collaborative our, our mind-body connection is in the moment, um, we're more likely to move ahead or move inward and, and perhaps even more deeply into our past or our woundedness. The more stretched out we get, um, in the sense of I'm really exhausted or I'm really hungover or I'm really in reaction or I'm really um, dealing with a bunch of nightmares or something, so now my mind is, is kind of on, on a, uh, a bit of a tightrope. So on an embodied level, if we're on a tightrope, then we want to compensate for that. If in the mind we're on a tightrope, then we're going to want to compensate for that or numb it out or add something to make it go away. And there's this idea of the tightrope between the, the jingshan, the, the embodied essence of being as a body, and then the, the, the zen or not quality of, of your attention. And it's, it's just being comfortable with the fact that it's always stretching out and it's always coming back to something more playful and resilient. So for me, it's always start with the recognition that the way through this is to come deeper into the moment. And the easiest way to come into the moment is to be really honest with what your embodied felt sense is and what the narrative is about. And if we can get comfortable with that journey of acceptance and, and moving inward, um, then all the tools that go along with that from Chinese medicine or, or other modalities, uh, there's so many different uh, really great approaches. I would say then we're actually beginning from, from the eye of your hurricane, from a place of being centered. That was a bit more of an answer than I thought it would be, sorry. Uh, but that, that's really the way I guess I, I frame most things in, in my own, say, meditation or Qigong practices. You know, let's start with Jing Shun or Yin Yang and really feel into it instead of having a, come into a practice with a project in mind. Because, sure. you know, um, I'm curious what, you know, either of you would reflect back from that. But I, don't know, I was just going to ask you, Dana, um, do you have any anything more to add to that or any kind of questions back to Michael? Um, I love that. I love that, um, that visualization of Jing Shan and, you know, in, in terms of language that, um, a non-Chinese medicine person might use to look at parts of that, not, it won't encompass the whole thing is thinking about surrender and sovereignty. So we have surrender, which is the more yin aspect and sovereignty or agency, which is the more yang aspect and, um, finding the right balance for, for you as a person, as an individual, for each of us, finding the right balance between surrender and sovereignty, I see as key to getting to this place of clarity and clarity is sobriety. So um, surrender includes, okay, what's going on right now? You know, what is my relationship to the substance or behavior? What is my relationship to everything in my life, including my body, but, and my thoughts? And that's surrender right there. You can take it further in different ways, like surrender to the universe or surrender to nature. But it can just be as simple as asking, um, what's the truth right now? And then sovereignty or agency, the more yang aspect, um, what is within my sphere of choice? And what is my next step? It could be, you know, what is my next healing step? Or how do I need to show up each day and chop wood, carry water, do the next healing thing and do it again, even if it's really hard right now, because I'm not on the other side of this addiction. 
So. Interesting. I mean, it's just in the way that both of you are talking, it makes me um, curious uh, to ask you more about um, Dana. Your your website, uh, Alchemist Sobriety. Um, perhaps you've already done it, but is there a definition for what that actually is? Yeah. So alchemy in the context of alchemist sobriety, my work, my work with self, my work with, with other people, with clients, the students uh, has to do with bringing these different aspects together and bringing about a transformation and um, what the outcome is, is greater than, than the parts taken individually. So there's a magic that happens, um, a transformation with that. And I do bring together different things. I bring together um, the food we eat, the life we create for ourselves. You know, how do we craft a life that we don't want to escape, that we don't want to numb out? Um, so that can be done in all different ways. And I think it's really important to do it in all different ways. Because if we have an addiction, or even if someone doesn't want to say addiction, but they want to say a habit or a pattern that's unhelpful, that affects every aspect of us, body, mind, spirit, also affects our relationships with others. It affects every single relationship in our life. And that's why the stakes are so high. So the medicine also needs to address and bring in these different aspects. And the outcome is, is alchemical, transformative. Mm -hmm. um, with the work that you're doing, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about what I read on the website. You said that you work with women, as you've described it there, about the sort of, this is my word, the yin and yang, yang in this, <laughs> is that a, is, if that's a real word or not, of, 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 of the work that you do. Um, is that exclusively a work that you would see, um, how do I word this better? Is there a difference between how addictions uh, affect men or women? Yeah, thanks for that question. No, um, I wouldn't say that it's different between men and women necessarily. It really is an individual, like there is an individual and I meet the person where they are as an individual. And I do work with men. I do have some male clients, so it's not that I, I never work with men. But I like to um, bring my story and my journey and my process into my work. And I feel most connected in that sense with women. So, um, yeah, it's not that I never work with men, but I really want to, um, those women, women who are newly sober, who are new to sobriety, or who are sober curious, is who, at this point in my life, who I feel most called to connect with and to support. And, and many of them I find really need it. And many of them are holding up so much responsibility and are being the supporter, the giver in so many places in their lives and nobody is supporting them or they're not feeling like they can lean into someone. And so I like being that person for them. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, mm -hmm. you said something there, uh, sober curious. Um, it makes me wonder if, um, is addiction always a bad thing? Like if, if somebody is so, um, aware of themselves, that they know that they have some kind of an addiction issue. And if sober curious makes me think somebody is like, um, just putting a toe in the water of the idea mm -hmm. of sobriety. Um, but the rest of them <laughs> is sort of, you know, swimming in this ocean of addiction and 
they either don't care or it's okay or or that sort of thing. So, from your perspective, is is addiction something that needs to be cured? Is it is it a bad thing that needs to be, you know, do we need a heaven forbid a, um, a, a like a vaccination <laughs> for? Yeah. I mean, I, I think as humans, we're all going to have, I mean, it's all language and words. And so some people might not be comfortable with the word addiction. But the way I think of addiction, I say all of us humans have some kind of addiction. And so we can't cure it. There's always another layer, another level. Um, the way I think about addiction is, or it could you could phrase it, unhelpful habits or patterns is we're communing with something whether a substance or a behavior, and we're doing so to try to fill a void or get a need met or soothe some place of hurt or lack. And the problem is, is that we're using something that is not actually gonna do that. And instead it's gonna cause pain and harm, whether to self and or to others. And partaking in that communion reinforces the origins of the problem and it tends to go round and round. So it feels like a bad cycle on repeat. So I wouldn't say that that's in any way helpful, except I do think we all have it in some way or another. And then, you know, that's, there's beauty in that in the sense that, well, it's humanity and we're imperfect beings. And um, the power though comes in, in seeing it and, and seeing, okay, there's, this is this this is this for me and i exist in relationship with this in this way and the minute i notice that and observe it that's when and surrender to the truth then it already starts to shift things it already starts to shift that cycle and every time we choose to actually step out of the cycle and do something different then we're casting a vote in a different direction um so yeah, and sober curious, I, I totally welcome people who just want to try on sobriety or think, you know what, like, I don't have a problem, so-called problem with alcohol, but is this really letting me live my fullest life? Because that's why I stopped drinking. It's not that I was drinking excessively. It just felt out of alignment with everything else that I wanted to feel and do. And um, I'm still doing the things that feel out of alignment in other ways. I'm still, I've still got the perfectionist thing and the OCD thing. I still have to make sure that I don't fall into a restrictive eating pattern that's harmful. Um, so I'm still keeping careful watch around these areas. But uh, alcohol was one that's like, yeah, this is so out of alignment of my spiritual practice, of my just feeling clear and awake and energized and like I want to show up for the world. Mm -hmm. um, one of the uh, the quotes I saw um, when I was researching was something that what would say, "I'm a recovering blackout artist." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's not who you are. No, no, <laughs> okay. no. We got that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, in some ways, this is I. I don't. I only mean this halfway. So you know, I'm really grateful that I don't have and didn't have that sort of problem. It's really painful and it's, so I'm not making light of it, but um, in some ways it's easier because there's a rock bottom. There's a place that's so clearly a problem. And then the choice becomes very clear at a certain point. Um, with alcohol, I didn't have that. 
Um, and sometimes it can be easier for people who have that. But the reality is a lot of people, a lot of these sober, curious people, it's not that they're blacking out, but they feel like, well, I'm still waking every night at three or four in the morning and feeling anxiety. Um, I'm still have um, severe depression. So I have a tendency towards anxiety and depression. Any alcohol, even one drink makes those worse. I'm very clear on that point. Um, and so, you know, lots of people aren't blocking out, but would their life be fuller and more complete and more awake and, and happier even without alcohol? Yes. And so I think it's, it's good to, to explore um, in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, we've been talking a lot about um, using the word sobriety and alcohol. And I, I just want to be clear that we're getting the best uh, representation of the work that you do. Um, like the, the, the work that you do with clients, because you've got a background with food addictions um, and understanding yourself, uh, being okay with the fact that all of your pencils have to line up a certain way, <laughs> which I totally love. <laughs> I could talk to you for hours about that. Um, you know, we've, we've been talking about addictions and, and that sort of stuff. I'm curious to see how it is what you do compares against um, the most immediate example, uh, say like AA or Alcoholics Anonymous. Like what is the difference between what you do compared to what uh, those types of um, recovery programs uh, offer? Yeah, so I, well, first off, I, the people who I mostly work with, they're either working with eating patterns because um, what I did for a long time before becoming alchemist sobriety was alchemist eating. So I, I really have a lot of experience working with people who well, either they got sober and then now they have an eating issue, which is very, very common. Many people give up alcohol and then they start eating tons of sugar or they just start eat, overeating in general, or they never had an issue with alcohol because their drug has always been food. And so I work with a lot of people who are in those, those camps. Um, but a, I'd say a bigger answer, a more sleeping answer is I don't focus on helping people specifically um, give up alcohol. I, I do, but my, my, um, my biggest place of work is helping people who have already made the decision and they want to create a life that they love. So many programs just work, just focus on stopping, like stopping the alcohol, stopping the drugs, stopping the um, anorexia, stopping the bulimia, whatever it is. And I want to add stuff in. I want to help people. Okay, but like your life is beautiful and big and there's so much that that you have here and that we can create for you. And to get really excited, I want this to be fun and I want... Um, I want life to be fun and interesting, exciting and full. And so that's really what I help people focus on. How do they craft their days, their lives, their routines, their eating patterns in, in ways that make them feel good and that they don't want to escape or numb out. Now there are um, other sobriety programs that focus on getting off of alcohol. And uh, I highly recommend them. Um, Tempest Sobriety School is the big one that I recommend. And Holly Whitaker is the person in charge of that. She has a great book called Quit Like a Woman and very holistic approach. So there are many holistic approaches out there um, that really do this work as well. 
And I'm kind of um, a person for people to work with after, I'd say, whether it's one-on-one or I also have a sobriety kit that people can do on their own. And it's it's not just for people who are sober. Like there is so much that um, that people can do to craft lives they love. And um, and so that's really my focus. Mm. Uh, Michael, it makes me curious to know if there's anything you do with your work in your practice, functional medicine being a big part of that. Um, is there a sort of a key to unlock um, sobriety from a nutritional perspective that TCM deals with <clears throat> or functional medicine deals with? Well, I mean, it's interesting that we're all very, um, it's easy for all of us in the modern world to want to balance the chaos of addictive chemistry with the control of better chemistry in the sense of, oh, I can regulate serotonin, dopamine, inflammation, uh, other things, you know, I can test for that with say organic acid testing to see where neurotransmitter imbalances are the most out of balance. And that gives us from a, a scientific point of view, uh, a sense of creating a more adaptive or resilient uh, cognitive sphere for people so that, you know, the hope is that cravings will be better uh, or um, more easy to attend to or to handle or to be more patient with. And that does happen. And I've done a lot of uh, research into the biochemistry of, say, the harm of specific drugs or to use alcohol for an example, and how many months it takes to just replenish the amount of nutrient stores or the damage to what we would call Jing in Chinese medicine. So in a way, uh, there's a lot of bank accounts that, you know, we've been on overdraft and we want to put money back in the bank. But all of that, you know, and I think Dana could speak to this as well, puts us back on that tightrope of control, anticipation of, of things being better because of something I'm doing with uh, the vitamins I'm taking. So there's, there's a possible benefit or a possible buffer. But I, I would always say from my experience, especially with trauma work and uh, its relationship with addiction and autoimmune disease, um, that if you're not also bringing consciousness into your practice, uh, if it's a mindfulness practice or a, a specific kind of meditation uh, or Qigong where it's more about somatic awareness and, and things like that, until you can find again that eye of your hurricane on, on a state of being and, and a narrative place, the concern I see is that you can take a person from one addictive pattern and put them into another addictive pattern where they're just trying to control outcomes with better chemistry instead of really asking who is the one who, you know, got myself into that past, you know, behavior, who is the one, you know, sober curious. And I love that term, sober curious. I could probably just listen to people talk about that for an hour by itself, mm -hmm. just because it's such an invitation to be curious, because curious is not about control. So, Although there's a lot of wrenches to turn and supplements to buy and lab tests to use to assess ourselves to try and control outcomes. When I, I'm really working with people with trauma and addiction, the first question always is we have to find a way to, from place of narrative and, and state, come into the eye of your hurricane experientially and consistently and several times a day. And that may, you know, include using some something that can help you calm yourself if it's CBD or GABA or something else. 
but again, the idea of trying to fix an inside thing with just stuffing from the outside um, it isn't really curious yet. It's it's sober control. It's not sober curious. So my thing is always to get people more into the experiential place, because that's where you're going to meet the raw parts and the wounded parts, and they're always there in their presence. So it's not not like you're oh my god, that's me. It's more like okay now I've, I have the patience and the willingness to to be you know, more in a collaborative and patient relationship with myself. Because again, otherwise we're, we're, we're replacing, <clears throat> as, as I just said, you know, one kind of chemical for another kind of chemical and, and the kind of anticipation that, that people can get into is a kind of anxiety. And if the results aren't what they had projected, then you're kind of dipping into the, the ocean of depression around, you know, your results. So, I don't know. If I, if I was to think of a visual metaphor, it's, it's kind of like fishing, you know, we're always casting into the future to try and bring in the, 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 the big catch or something. And uh, that isn't usually where people need to meet themselves if, if they're really going to meet that curious place. Mm -hmm. They need to be in their gumboots in the water. Be the fisher person. <laughs> well, I mean, start with a canoe and a paddle and realize you're the only one deciding at least the direction of the moment, you know, or something, but. Sure, sure. Um, Dana, have you got any, uh, any thoughts on what Michael just shared there? Yeah, um, you know, I, one of the gifts of our medicine is that we don't just hand everybody the set of supplements that's going to fix their brain. You know, we don't have one medicine that's, that's our one prescription for everyone. We really treat the individual and the pattern that's showing up. And so I'd say that's part of my response. So yes, yeah, like it's not just like, okay, let's just throw some, some GABA and some CBD at it. Let's look at um, where are you? And um, I mentioned my patterns, which tend to live in the circle. I think of addiction in terms of circles and the circle I live in is one of fear of too much. But many of the people I work with, so I fear too much sensation, overwhelm, anxiety coming from outside or from within, and I respond with restriction, elimination, deprivation. Many, I'd say most of my own clients and many people out there in the world uh, exist in another circle, which is fear of not enough. So they, like me, are coming from a very human place of trauma, abuse, heartbreak, loss, pain, suffering. But instead of restricting, they have fear of not enough. Like some of them will actually say, I fear being hungry. Um, or they fear not having alcohol in the house. They fear not having their drug of choice in the house. If they are in an addictive codependent relationship, they fear not being in that relationship. Um, so their response is one of overconsumption, overdoing. Their medicine is going to look much different than my medicine. Um, and either way, though, coming back to this touch point, which this, again, this, this I'd say aligns with what Michael is saying too. The touch point for me, I think of it as this third circle of true self. And in Chinese medicine, you could think of the heart or the shen and this or our authenticity. The, all, the, all the organs have virtues in Chinese medicine. And the one for the heart is Xi'an, which is candor or authenticity or living your true self. So that's the opposite of addiction. That is 
all about sobriety and being clear and being connected to true self and to others. And the more times we can help people touch into that, and no one that I've ever met lives there all the time, but the more time we spend there, the better. And um, for us, for everyone, for all parts of ourselves, our life. And the last thing I would want to do is just say, no, do this thing to, you know, this is what you need to do to get sober to everybody who comes to me. And then there's no connection to their true self. And the medicine isn't even, isn't even perhaps appropriate to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like a a one size fits all. I've been to Alcoholics uh, Anonymous meetings, um, invited and um, witnessed how, um, when they had an opportunity to stand up and share, certain individuals took to the limelight like a movie star, <laughs> and other people took to it like whatever the opposite of a movie star is, uh, the most introverted kind of uh, person you could ever think of. Um, and as you're saying, there's no one-size-fits-all approach, and yet here they have these 12 steps, which, as as good as they are, it made me wonder um, how how somebody could actually fit into that in an organic way um, on an individual level. Um, but I, I mean, I'm not there at those meetings, so maybe I can't answer that. I'm not sure if there's even a question there, but do you have any sort of sense of how something like um, AA would actually wash up against um, somebody who is not as comfortable in their own skin um, compared to somebody who is? Yeah, I mean, so um, I can't speak from firsthand experience. I have not been to an AA meeting, but I have worked at addiction treatment centers that are based around an AA model. So I have some sense of it. I've done acupuncture and guided meditations and treated people in addiction treatment centers. Um, For some people, AA is a lifesaver. And um, I'm so grateful for AA for helping the people it is helping and has helped. Um, For many people that I work with, they feel completely out of place at AA, um, many women in particular. And um, again, this is not me firsthand attending meetings. So it's, I'm, you know, hold all of this with that in mind. And AA meetings themselves differ from meeting to meeting. So that is something to take into account. Mm-hmm. But my understanding through people who I've interacted with is the AA me- meetings, the AA system is very uh, surrender based not necessarily sovereignty based. Um, and I, I'm really big on finding that balance between surrender and sovereignty. So yes, surrender to, to God or the universe or the truth or nature or whatever, sorry, or, or whatever that is. Um, and at the same time, but I'm not bad, you know, I'm human. And, and where is my power and my place of agency and capacity to act? And, and also there's all of me and not just, just, okay, I'm going to give up alcohol and that's the rest of my story. And that's my whole story. And that's my whole life. No, there's this whole rich um, being here and um, let's, let's tend to all of it. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Thanks. For that that sort of yeah. paints a different picture for me mm-hmm. uh, fills in fills in the blanks on some ideas that i've often wondered about so thanks for your perspective mm-hmm. on that um i read that you do work outside of canada we live in canada we mm-hmm. have a certain way of being canadian a 
New do to booty. And that's for you who are listening or watching this podcast who aren't Canadian. <laughs> Let's, should I say sorry now? Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry for being sorry. Um, so how does you work, you live in Canada and yet you work online uh, with Zoom as your tool. Um, do you notice any kind of difference with the work that you do for people, say, who are maybe American or in other, other cultures? Can you speak to that? Oh, um, I don't see that much difference in terms of differences between countries. And yeah, I have clients in the States. I have clients here in Canada. I have clients in Australia. I've had them in other places before, New Zealand. Um, once I had someone who was in um, uh, Kazakhstan. So, you know, the remote work is is really awesome. I get to connect with people all over the world. And, and I'd say, if anything, it just reinforces that we're all human and we all struggle with with similar things and we all celebrate in similar not in similar ways maybe on the outside but we feel that range of, of emotion and feelings is um, the same range of emotions and feelings um, I'd say to you know um, practitioners and patients are, are matches for each other so I attract certain people wherever, wherever they are, whether they're in Canada or the US. And yeah, those are the people who are drawn towards me and those are the people I feel the resonance with and called to help. So that's, that's its own thing outside of um, the walls. And uh, <laughs> I'm very glad to be on this side of the wall in Canada, um, that's for sure. Sure, well, I would say that you, uh whatever you're doing is pretty good. If you can, if you can do remote work with somebody as remote as working in or living in Kazakhstan, yeah. <laughs> you must know your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it shines up that well, even that far away. Yeah. <laughs> um, Michael, you're part of this call. I'm curious to see if you've got any questions to, uh, to point towards uh, Dana. Um, I have a few. I'm trying to decide which one would be the most poignant, I guess. Um, so um, I got to see the program that Dana put together uh, for, I think you call it a sobriety kit or a support kit? Sobriety uh, sobriety kit and recovery journal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was fortunate enough to, to get access to that and go through it and um, I just have to say, I was really, really impressed by the, the way that you had laid it out and pasted it out and, um, you know, in a sense of a sequence. Um, but I was also just curious that um, you put such um, attention to and, and encouragement for people to focus on boundaries. And I'm curious if you could speak to why being sensitive and aware to your boundaries is such an important aspect in, in your experience with people uh, who are sober curious in whatever way sobriety looks to them, you know, regardless of substance or behavior, um, why it is that boundaries are, you know, such a core aspect, because I found that really powerful. And I'm just curious, um, you know, from your experience, what, what, what that's really, you know, why that's such an important and essential place. Yeah, I, I love that question because boundaries are something that are relevant to everyone, I would say, whether they're, whether they're trying to get sober or whether they're trying to make other changes in their life, boundaries are key. And uh, we exist, as humans, we exist in relationship with others and we orient ourselves 
vis-a-vis others and that can be helpful or unhelpful and um, in terms of boundaries you know what are we letting in what are we saying yes to when we say no what are we saying when we say no what else are we saying yes to like there's always a choice there's always an offer and there's always a choice when we interact with people and not just people but also social media what do we consume what messaging do we surround ourselves with so i'd say that's one part of really choosing our surroundings whether it's online or in person and what comes in and in what ways and not in a not in a way where we're controlling and lacking um, a full expression of being a human being but what's helpful and what's unhelpful and what is perhaps going to support us in in living a full life and getting in touch with true self and living a clear life and what is not going to be and it's it's one of the saddest things but many people when they're making changes that are healthy and that feel good and that are going to benefit them uh, they get pushback from other people who are close to them in their life and uh, often someone gets sober and then their family disowns them right because it's this uh, there's this dance of people and suddenly the person who's been the identified patient so we have two people and the person up here whether it's a parent or a sibling or a spouse or a friend whatever they're the clean one right so they're the one without the addiction and they are just as addicted often to this relationship and this person's the identified patient when this person starts rising then this person can feel really uncomfortable and part of the reason is that it shines the light on all their shit and like okay are they gonna like clean up their act or you know and it might not be alcohol it might just be how they are in relationship or whatever it is and so pushback and come in and really I, I like working with people to let them know you get to say no your sobriety or your change efforts whatever they are those are really really important you get to say no to things and you also get to choose your advertising and edit rigorously and radically some people might need to leave your life for a while or maybe forever um, the media you consume might have to change and it's it's worth it um but you've got to protect your sobriety or your change efforts and and really protect them with with strong healthy boundaries more content like this in your facebook feed <laughs> <laughs> yeah. less less cat videos okay folks yeah yeah <laughs> not that many but you know just maybe temper that down a little bit um michael was there another question you had um, the other thing that I remember from looking at that course, um, besides thinking, wow, I really wish I would have known about this course years ago when I was getting sober, because uh, I really love having that external support and the infrastructure around me uh, when I'm doing anything. I mean, uh, sometimes just as an example, I make my own meditation kind of guided tapes so that if I'm going to sit and engage in a deeper practice, it's just knowing that I can sit down, press play, and get into the focus until after a few weeks I get into, you know, a kind of momentum with things. So um, another part of that course that I thought was a really great insight that I, I'm curious if you're willing to speak to was I think you called it your pocket protector or the idea of making sure that when you're going into different situations that you, um, you know, you have the things that you need with you, the resources you need to be more resilient or more present. And I'm um, just curious if you'd want to share what 
uh, some of those maybe or even just the underlying reason why that is something that uh, would, would be a core component of, of the course you developed. Sure. Yeah. One of the one of the aspects of of the kit is, um, yeah, I call it the pocket protector, and really, it's just a thing that people can print out and put um, a, a reminder, so a place of remembrance, a daily intention, a daily a daily mantra. I work a lot with intentions and mantras in my own life. Um, and I give lots of examples in the kits of, of, of what they might be, but you know, just having this anchor. Um, my refrigerator is always covered in post-its reminding me of these places of practice so that then when I'm cooking, I can turn around and like spend some time looking at them, reminding myself. Um, but yeah, there's, and the, and the right mantra, the right question, the right thing to put in your pocket protector is going to differ for everybody. So it might be, um, where can I do 3% more? Where can I do 10% less? For instance, where can I go slow? Um, helpful or not helpful? There have been days when of overwhelm when that question by itself is what I just asked throughout the day. Helpful or not helpful? Because, um, you know, there's usually a pretty simple choice and things are pretty clear if we, if we parse them back, if we pair them back to their, their basics. And it's just a matter of asking the question and seeing it. That's a pretty powerful statement there. I'm just writing it down so I don't forget it. Helpful or not helpful. Um, that just sits on me like a ton of bricks. That's great. Mm. <laughs> and um, like a weighted blanket. Maybe I'll say it that way. <laughs> like there, there's a there's a sense of um, 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 acceptance that I that I hear in that. It's like I'm looking at the situation in front of me and I see, is that helpful or not helpful? And it's like um, the adult Anthony is actually saying to the struggling Anthony, is this helpful or not helpful? And doing it in kind of like a curious way as opposed to an admonishment. Mm -hmm. right? And that's... Uh, I'm going to steal that. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, Anything else that you that you saw in the in in those materials, uh, Michael, that you wanted to ask about? Uh, not specifically, but there's one other question, and it has two parts. Um, and I, I'm really curious about this because of your experience working with people in retreat centers, because that's something I have a bit of experience in, and I'm thinking about more. Um, so it's kind of a quick two-part question. If I was at a, an addiction retreat and you were facilitating something and it was the last day and I was in that place, whatever that place is, where I'm like, I get it, whatever I get it is in that moment, what do, what do you think is the most common place people really pop open when they go to like an actual retreat on that last day when they're heading home and they feel that, 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 that different kind of openness. What would you feel is like the, the real big shift for people that makes that possible? Did you, do you mean um, a revelation that comes during the retreat itself? Or are you asking? I'm not sure, sure. I completely understand yeah, that. Yeah, I think that might be the best way to put it is, you know, what, what would you say is the most likely revelation that happens for people when they're in retreat? And then again, that last day when they're like, this is who I want to go home as. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you know, I think it comes down to uh, clarity. So just getting this sense of, you know, life can be different and uh, I don't have to keep doing the same old painful thing. And then the other part of that, it's kind of like it goes hand in hand with that is sobriety doesn't have to be miserable. Like it shouldn't be like this is like life feels good. You know, when we return to um, what we have the innate capacity for, which is joy. And, um, you know, one of the, the most tragic, saddest things about addiction is it extinguishes us. It extinguishes our light, our shen, our true self. And being immersed in a retreat or working with someone or even doing it on your own and getting sober in, in a holistic way, you get to uh, rediscover yourself and bring that back into the light. And that feels good. And it doesn't feel good all the time because we still have all the fears, pain, sorrows, all of that. Um, but we exist in different relationship with them and we discover, hey, you know, they don't kill us. It's okay. Like actually it's easier if we just go straight in and, and sit with them. So, yeah, I mean, after, after treatment center time or retreat time, just getting to this place of, wow, like what's next? What am I excited for? What do I love to do? Because most big people forget, they forget what they love to do. And so, well, what do I want for my life? And there's so much possibility out there. And so it's, it's really cool to see people get excited about that again. I guess that kind of app uh, answer is part two, because my other part of the question is, what's the most likely thing that happens when people get home? And, you know, what's the thing that, you know, brings up that sense of stuckness or that sense of separation, that that's the one thing that's going to put them back into the same behavior as the past? Yeah, you know, um, I'm a big fan of, of changing up your context and changing up your surrounds. And it doesn't mean that you have to cut everything out forever, or cut all the people out forever. But uh, what's going on in your home space? And often it's a reflection of whatever circle you happen to be in. So for instance, if people are um, living in a circle of fear of not enough, and they're drinking, or fear are not enough and they're eating all the sugar or all the things. Um, often their home space reflects it. It's, it's cluttered, there's too much stuff, it doesn't feel comfortable, it doesn't feel home. So that can be an accessible entry place of like, okay, how can we make your home space? If, if what are the three words that you would like it to make you feel like? What do you mm. want to experience there? And um, how can we make that happen? Even just in that direction if not all at once. So whether it's um, finding other groups to hang out with or other people to hang out with or making changes inside your physical home um, or changing things around on your laptop or the social media feed, you know, whatever it is, but changing up the context so that you're not just going back to all the same old triggers. You're, you're creating something intentionally and something better. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, that, that's kind of where I, I, I thought um, you would go, because that's been my, my thing in my own life with my, my own journey and also with helping people is step one, rearrange your furniture, you know, or, or just change things up and, until um, the idea of, you know, energy being stuck or things being so oppressively the same that the, the mind just naturally expects the same kind of outcome. So 
Yeah, I've always really uh, appreciated that part of you as a person, Dana, the more minimalist, you know, way you choose to live in your environment, because it's, it, it's hard for it to get overwhelming when it's, you know, really simple and really precise. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a medicine for my mind. That's for sure. Um, keeping things simple. And uh, yeah, it's interesting because other people, you know, as I've spoken about, they live in different circles than me. Um, but my, my, this is a, as an example, just to, to bring things back around of our, our gift and our addictions share the same source is that things for me that I have to watch so that they don't become a problem are actually the medicine for other people I work with. So if someone's in the circle of fear of not enough and they always want more, 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 I have the minimalist uh, medicine for them. <laughs> You've got your own version of vitamin M. You're gonna have to talk yeah. to Michael. So Michael about his, his, his take on vitamin M. We've, we've talked about that before. Um, I'm just conscious of the time looking at the clock there and um, uh, Wondering if there's, um, I, I had one last question for you about um, how does somebody go forward with this sort of thing. But before I ask that, um, was there anything more that uh, that you want to share about the work that you do that we haven't asked so far? Uh, well, you know, I guess I'll just say um, there are different ways to work with, and there are so many practitioners out there, so I'm certainly not the only one. Um, but I do have do-it-yourself options, and, and Michael's talked about that. My, or he's talked about one version of that, which is this online sobriety kit, recovery journal. So that's something for people to do on their own, um, and it's nice if people are just exploring sobriety or if they're exploring uh, making other changes, intentional change in their life, and they want it to be a bit fun, I'd say, as well. Um, it shouldn't just be a chore, right? It should be um, fun and, and joy inspiring. And uh, and then I do work with people one-on-one. -on -one. I do take a few one-on-one -on -one clients and um, yeah. Okay, great. And How would this, people find you? I was just gonna ask that, say that again, oh, Michael. Right, go ahead. <laughs> um, so if someone was, uh, was keen to, to learn more, what are the first steps? Uh, how do they reach out and get, do they just email you that sort of thing? How's it work? Yeah, I have uh, I have two websites. So I have alchemistsobriety.com and that is where people can find my weekly blog. I love writing um, blogs weekly. So that of course is free. I have a free newsletter on there. I have free eBooks on there. So that would be one place to start. And then, and it outlines my coaching packages on that page as well, or on that website as well. And then alchemistacademy.club is where I sell online courses and kits. And I have the sobriety kit. I also have a, a body as ally eating addiction kit. And I have a number of Chinese medicine courses as well. Okay, great. Um, that kind of runs through all of the questions that I have. Michael, any last ones you want to squeak in here? Um, no, actually, I'm, I'm happy with the questions I had. I'm just really enjoying what just listening to you guys talk. Actually, <laughs> you're like the live studio audience today, Michael. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is good. Um, Dana, this has been great. It sounds really exciting to to hear how um, you have a grasp on yourself in a way that's actually helpful for others. That's really inspiring, uh, coming from somebody who likes to line up pencils. 
<laughs> there's still hope for me. That's yeah. good. That's, that's good. Um, yeah, I really, really appreciate uh, having the opportunity to talk with you today. It's been, it's oh, been well, this was this was such a pleasure, and thank you so much, Anthony and Michael. I uh, really, really appreciate this, and uh, I'm glad I got over my my fear of being videotaped and being on a podcast because this was um, this was delightful. Well, uh, we're, we're going to have to, Michael's going to pull out his appointment book and he's going to schedule with you for another one sometime soon. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we're going to nail you down uh, before you slip away. Uh, Dana, thanks again for the conversation and we'll yeah. catch up with you sometime soon. Thank you so much. Yeah. You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio. 